You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Tell you what, it's nice sometimes to be like, you know what, I'll just do the podcast tomorrow morning. Um, And so you get to kind of stay up or kind of, you know what, you get a little bit more sleep because it was Sunday, you know, sleep in and do the podcast. But doing two in a day is, it's tough. Not not just from the standpoint of, "Ah, I got to do it again. I just did it this morning. Now I got to do it again because it's Sunday night. I have to do it again. But from a content standpoint, because nothing changed. So I'm, I'm doing two in one day. That's uh, it's kind of a lot. But it is what it is. You live with your decisions. Um, what I wanted to start with for the day, because we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, PFF and stats and things. And it's, it's a weird situation where you have to simultaneously really, really care, but then also follow up every super important bit of information with, but it kind of doesn't matter. But then double back on that and be like, but it matters enough for the guys that are playing so that they get they, they keep their jobs. And But doesn't matter, but it matters. So I kind of want to just go through and look at a couple different things, just so we fully understand, right? Jordan Love, how did he do? What does it mean? I know it's obnoxious to go back and look at Aaron Rodgers and how he did, but it's also reality. And so while it's true that just because Aaron Rodgers was bad when he was younger and Jordan Love was not great when he's younger doesn't mean Jordan Love is going to be great. It 100,000% does mean just because he didn't play well doesn't mean he's going to be bad, which is where a lot of people want to go. But it's also true in, in the opposite side of that. As much as we can pump up the guys that maybe didn't play as well, you also have to take some of the guys that did really well with a grain of salt. So again, just for the sake of perspective, I want to look at a couple different things. And I actually want to start not with the Packers, kind of with a uh, a look at uh, Jameis Winston. So I wanted to look at, see what the Saints are up to, see how he's doing. He's actually doing phenomenally. Uh, if you look at just his grades, he's played uh, two games, not obviously the entire game, but 19 snaps in week one and two snaps in week two. And then the uh, Saints game... Uh, apparently was canceled. I'm assuming that was in New Orleans. I He didn't play week three, but in uh, week one, he got a 73 overall grade. Week two, uh, nine completions on 10 attempts, so 90%, 123 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 95.5 um, overall grade in that game. For this preseason, 92.3 overall. Now, seems to me he won the job legitimately and um, there's reason for optimism for Saints fans. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people in the media talking about how, uh, you know, people underestimate him and he's, he's basically as good as Drew Brees, which I mean, makes my head spin, but it is a good outing. 92.3 is, is cause for optimism. However, for the sake of perspective, because for the most part, again, he's never really done that well in the preseason, except one year. In 2018, he actually graded out at a 94.6. It was this weird anomaly of a year, sandwiched between a bunch of 50s and 60s, where he just absolutely lit it up in the preseason. His regular season grade was a 69.9. 
which is right on par with every single year. His grades in his career, 67, 72, 73, 69, 68, and then last year was a 43.8. So suffice it to say, despite his breakout preseason, um, that didn't necessarily carry over. And, and if, you, if you look at it, from the preseason, his first preseason was a 55, his second one was a 61, then it was a 72, and then a 95. It looked as though this was going to be a big breakout year if you just based it on that. And even his regular season grades, kind of a similar path, not quite as dramatic, but 67, 72, 73. So you're seeing that continual progression, and it's like, dude, he took a massive jump in the preseason. This has got to be at least, what, an 85? He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in football, 69.9. He regressed. It was the second worst year um, of his career, which ended up being the best he's had in the last three years because it was just a continued downward spiral from there. But again, it just it meant absolutely nothing. Now, if we look at Mr. Jordan Love, again, not that it super matters, we're moving on, he's not our starting quarterback, but just again, for um, the sake of looking at it, 55.5 overall grade. Didn't play a ton, he played in two games, his first game was a 72.4, which is solid, the second one, as I said yesterday, 43.5, that averaged him out right at 55.5, just below average. Now, we don't have Aaron Rodgers' PFF grades from that time period because PFF didn't start recording preseason statistics until 2013. So we don't have that information, but we do have his statistics. Jordan Love, when this whole thing was all said and done, 24 of 35, 271 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Aaron Rodgers, I got to do a little math here. Let's see, 5, 9, 18, 21. So 21 of 37, which is a 56.7% completion rate. He threw for 172 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. And he hadn't played in four games, not two. So he threw for, let's see, he threw for about 100 less yards, the same amount of touchdowns, and one more interception in four games compared to Jordan Love's two games. Aaron Rodgers had 18 completions. In um, in four games, Jordan Love had 24. I don't know what Aaron Rodgers' PFF grade would have been, but it wouldn't have been a 55. It would have been significantly lower because that's not great. In fact, let's look at some of the quarterbacks and see who did similarly and see if we can kind of gauge what that might have been. For fun, let's just pull up the rookies. So Kyle Trask is actually quite similar. Um, he had a 52.7 completion rate, which is very low, but again, that's about what Rodgers had. He had one touchdown, two interceptions, the difference being um, 312 yards, which is like two and a half times as many yards. He graded out, he did get a 59.2, but again, the 300 yards is significant. But that's about what we're talking about here. Kyle Trask, um, Ian Book, Let's see, he was 56% completion rate, 126 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. That's kind of similar, 54 overall grade. Stats don't really line up because Trey Lance was 230 yards, three touchdowns and a pick, but 46 overall grade. But bottom line is, statistically speaking, um, I don't know, maybe Kyle Trask, that 300 yards is pretty significant. I might go with Ian Book out of New Orleans. And the crazy thing is, Ian Book played one game. (laughs) He had 126 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick in, in one game. But even if we did look at Aaron Rodgers' grades in the preseason, just for this, again, for the sake of perspective, again, Aaron, uh, Jordan Love, 55.3. Aaron Rodgers, the last time he even played in the preseason was 2018, 67. 
2017, he had a 57 overall grade. And then in 2016, he had a 49.9 overall grade. Now, he doesn't play very much, but he has not even had a 70 in the last three years that he played. The last time that he did well, and this was actually three the, the last three years that they recorded it, 13, 14, 15, but it was an 82.7 he got in 2015, so like six years ago. So again, I mean, does it matter? Well, yeah, because it's all we have. But does it give us any 100,000% solid, concrete information about how good of a career they're going to have? Of course not. Now, a couple other things. From the opposite perspective, because some people are going to say you're just being a homer trying to defend love. No, not, in, not exactly. It's all about perspective. That's all I've been doing this whole time. You can do the same thing with Justin Fields. Was he very impressive? No, he was not. Does that mean he's going to be good? No. Does it mean he's going to be bad? No. Doesn't mean a whole lot. We got to see what he can do as time goes on. I'm glad we didn't see anything super electric, but, you know, I'm certainly not going to start doing victory laps. Now, I had mentioned on the Twitters that, um, oh, come on, what is his name? I can never remember. Newton. Newman. Not Newton. Newman. I don't know why Royce Newman is hard to remember. I just struggle with it. Um, Mr. Royce Newman, if you kind of filter out the amount of snaps, he was the number one offensive lineman. So generally what I do, uh, PFF has it set up where they take the maximum amount of snaps that anybody had. In this case, it was 205. And they say you have to have at least played 20% of the maximum. So that's the first level. That's usually what I click. If you filter it by 20% of the maximum, Samuel, uh, what the heck are we doing here? He was set to run blocking. Royce Newman is the number one offensive lineman. In fact, the guy in second place, Sam Cosme, had an 81.8 overall grade. An 81.8. This is among rookies, but still. 81.8. Royce Newman, 91.8. That's how big of a gap he had over every other offensive line rookie. Now, here is... um, sort of the downer part. If we do the exact same thing for 2019, because obviously 2020 we have no information because it wasn't a preseason, the highest graded offensive lineman was Derek Kelly. He had an 87.9 overall grade, 92.8 run blocking, 79.5 pass blocking, very similar to Mr. Royce Newman. Derek Kelly has only ever played one game as a Saint, ever. It was in 2020. He played 16 snaps. He had a 64 overall grade. If we're not looking at rookies and we just say, okay, who is the best offensive lineman in the uh, whatever in 2019, it was Brett Jones of the Minnesota Vikings. The highest graded offensive lineman in 2019 in the preseason was Brett Jones of the Minnesota Vikings. Does anybody think that Brett Jones is an elite football player? Does anybody know who Brett Jones is, aside from Vikings fans? Behind him was Marcus Henry. Marcus Henry has never played a snap ever in the regular season, ever. He was the second highest graded offensive lineman in the preseason in 2019. Behind him was rookie Derek Kelly. Um, Behind him was Keegan Render. Behind him was Lucas Patrick of the Green Bay Packers. Um, Then you got Joe Haig. You got Wesley Johnson. You've got uh, Greg Sanat. You have Hironis Grasu. You have Kenny Wiggins. You have Matt Feeler. Uh, and then you get Wyatt Teller. There's a very good offensive lineman for you. But you get my point, right? All these guys, and I'm filtering it out, so it's not guys that had five snaps. They played a lot in the preseason, and they dominated in the preseason. I listed, I had to go down to uh, Wyatt Teller at 16 before I got to anybody that's 
really quite good. And he actually didn't break out until 2020. In 2019, he was terrible. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill's done very, very well. He's one of the highest graded running backs in all the preseason. Let me run through, <laughs> pun not intended, unfortunately. I'm not that smart. But I caught it, though. Let me run through the highest graded runners, the best runners. People upstairs would like to contribute. We actually did get the little pads, by the way. I know some of you suggested you should get these little foam pads you put on the bottom of your chair, and then you slide around, don't make any noise. Yeah, those things lasted about a day. Ended up sticking to the, like, gumming up and falling off, and then the baby's crawling around. She's picking them up, trying to eat them. You're trying to kill my family, and I don't appreciate it. Tony Brooks James, the highest graded runner in the NFL preseason in 2019. Who the heck is Tony Brooks James? I don't know. Mark Thompson out of Detroit. Oh, those crafty Detroit running backs. I tell you what, those guys, you just can't keep them down, can you? Uh, Brandon Bolden of New England, Justice Hill of Baltimore, Patrick Laird of Miami, Justin Jackson for the Chargers, Josh Caldwell, Tony Pollard, Wayne Gallman. He was a bust. Uh, Dalen Dawkins, Mike Boone, Marcus Murphy, Detrez Newsom, D'Angelo Henderson. Are you getting the point? None of these guys have done anything. And this is also the part where we start to get a little frustrated because, you know, we'll get really hyped up about a guy and then we don't see him in the regular season and we want to crucify our staff. We want to say the coaches should be fired, the GM should be fired for letting the guy go or putting him on the practice squad. Did you guys not see training camp? I heard all the notes. Did you guys not watch the preseason? He was the only guy doing anything. Chauncey Rivers is the only guy getting any pressures and then he ends up going to the practice squad. What are you guys doing? Are you out of your mind? It's not a matter of should we think of that as definitive? That's clearly no. The question is, do our coaches and our personnel staff have the ability to evaluate beyond the box score, to understand things like, you know, when you're in the meeting room, do they know what their assignment is? When you're going over stuff, when you ask them questions, do they understand? Can they comprehend? Can they, you know, when you're in the huddle, and you break the huddle, does the guy know where to go? You're not going to get a bad PFF grade if you stand in the wrong spot, because PFF doesn't know. You're not going to get a bad grade if you run the wrong route, because PFF doesn't know. So again, it's, it's, it's both, right? It, it, it doesn't mean, it's, it's better than no information. If they hadn't done anything, and, and somebody just said, pick between Dexter Williams, Patrick Taylor, and Kylan Hill, you would probably see things kind of spread out. Let's just say it's a third, a third, a third. Now, once the preseason gets rolling on and you see Kylan Hill taking the mantle and looking like the best running back of the group, kind of by far, again, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be dominant because we've seen guys do well in preseason and it doesn't translate, but at the same time, you have to have a level of skill in order to be able to do the things he does. So it would be foolish to say, I know he's going to be great. But it would not be foolish, in fact, it would probably be wise to shift a little bit of your um, success rate percentage, if you will, over to Kylan Hill, if, if the question is who's going to have a better career. It means something, just not as much as we all make it out to be. And I know I'm kind of being the fun police a little bit, and basically saying that we've wasted several weeks of our lives pretending that what we saw means something and all our opinions are, are worthless, which isn't entirely true. But at the same time, that I feel is sort of my job perspective, reality. And you can do with it what you will. Again, I'm just reading all these things. You know, when I send out the tweet saying, here's how great everybody was, 
there's nothing wrong with getting excited. But then if I come over here and say, let's do the exact same thing for 2019 and say, who was in that slot last year or two years ago? And you hear a name of somebody that you've literally never heard before. Or maybe you remember them from like that draft class. And it's like, oh, I haven't heard his name since the day he got drafted. It can't help but bring you down to reality. So again, you do what you want with the information. I'm just, I'm just laying it down for you. Um, why don't we go ahead and take a break here? I know it's still kind of early, but a lot of distractions and things are going nuts. So, and it's getting kind of late. So let's just take a break here. We've kind of concluded that point. If you would like to support the podcast, I would certainly encourage you to do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. There is one week until the Palmer Home for Children charity closes. If you'd like to give to that uh, before it closes out, I would encourage you to do so. You can find the link for that uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter page, as well as pinned to the top of the Pack and a Podcast Facebook group. You can also reach out to me directly if you'd like to give, and we'll figure something out. See, I'm falling asleep here. And again, make sure you sign up at pristineauction.com. Use promo code Packernet. And uh, it doesn't cost you anything. I hope you're not getting the impression that you're using a, a promo code so that you get a discount. No, use promo code Packernet so that they know to just throw 10 bucks in your account. So there's no reason not to just go over there and take 10 bucks. Do that and then head over to the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Once you've done that, you're basically good to go. I know I said I would have more information today, but I forgot that today literally means the exact same day. And so I didn't really give myself a lot of time to work out the details, but I will get that figured out. But once you get that done, you're pretty much all the way home. But uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So as the preseason winds down on my end, uh, the 27 seconds left in the Giants game, we got eight and a half minutes left for Atlanta-Cleveland. Again, we'll see what all happens, but I, I do think it is safe to say that not playing your starters is probably the wise thing. There are some teams that played their guys, they got a few reps in, took a couple licks, you know, see how it feels to make some contact and whatnot, get your tackling in and came out unscathed, but there have been some pretty significant injuries. Uh, you did have J.K. Dobbins, uh, season-ending torn ACL. And I'll tell you what, just just go Google um, injuries, and you see generally how many injuries teams have. And then when you come to the Packers, it is such a small list. The only other team I see that has a fairly small list similar would be like the Bengals. But, I mean, you look at the Browns, just the team that I'm looking at in front of me, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 people are injured. Dallas Cowboys are next, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, so they have 25 Broncos, about the same number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, about call it twenty. Um, come down to the Packers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
seven injuries. Uh, two of them are IR, Randy Ramsey and Will Redmond. Um, Dennis Kelly is questionable. Ty Summers questionable. Zadarius questionable. Jair questionable. David Bakhtiari out. That's our full list. Right after that is the Texans. Not not super big, but still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They got eleven guys. That's that's a small list. The Colts after that have twenty-two. So I mean, the point is, and, and I know a lot of these guys are backups that ended up getting hurt, and the Packers. The, the, the general point is the Packers do a really good job of managing injuries, and they put a, a high premium on that. Um, and that may have some negative repercussions in terms of preparedness, but I, I personally appreciate the trade-off because we've seen lots of injuries, and we know how devastating it is. I mean, just remember how devastating it was when David Bakhtiari got injured, right, you know, when we were trying to make a push in the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's, it's of course, completely devastating. So, um, you know, anytime you get frustrated and say, man, I would love for Aaron Rodgers to just go out there and kind of loosen up the shoulder a little bit, you know, kind of evade some pressure and all these kinds of things. I mean, just just imagine a hit and seeing him go down and hold his knee. You know, think about the time, what was it, uh, Jordy the one time? I don't remember if it was exactly Jordy, but um, goes up, catches a pass, comes down and immediately just hits the ground. You know, I mean, just non-contact, you know it's an ACL. You want to see Devontae go up, grab a pass, come down, and just drop to the ground? I know the odds are low. I know we're talking maybe 1% shot or even less than that, but I just I don't want to roll the dice. You know, I mean, if we're competing for something, if the game is on the line, fine. I trust Devontae Adams' ability to show up week one and look good. I trust Aaron Rodgers. Even if it's not going to be the best game of his career, he's not going to come out completely flat. And even if he did, he's had bad days before. Sometimes it's week 11, sometimes it's week 9, sometimes it's week 2, sometimes it's week 16. It happens. Everybody has bad days. So, um, again, genuinely appreciate that. I know there's some differing opinions on it, but I think we can all at least appreciate the general lack of injuries. And again, David Bakhtiari's injury was from last year. So even that doesn't uh, really reflect the Green Bay Packers and how what a good job that they've done of keeping guys um, healthy. And also, I'm reading some of these notes, Jair is on this list. says he's questionable. He left practice with cramps. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing he's not still going to be cramping by uh, the time New Orleans rolls around. So it's kind of a stretch to even call that much of an injury. So... It's appreciated. Um, as we look into week one, by the way, let me remind you that we do have a pick and pool for all patrons. So if you recently joined Patreon or if you are on there and um, you just haven't heard me say it or forgot about it, let me remind you. Or if you want in on it, uh, by all means, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore badaddy. Um, that's uh, the opposite of a silent B. It doesn't exist, but you say it. <laughs> I don't know. But we got a pick'em pool. There is a link. If you're having trouble finding the link, just go to the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the posts and scroll for a little bit. And if you absolutely are incapable of doing that, reach out to me and I'll help get you set up. But it looks like so far there are 31 of us, so there's no limits on this. So just get in and we'll do some kind of a giveaway. I'm thinking maybe a uh, um, like a Packernet t-shirt or something. I had somebody reach out today and say they... Uh, they signed up over at Pristine Auction, and they what they want for a prize is a signed Packers jersey, but they want me to sign it. <laughs> so maybe I'll send you a uh, Packernet shirt with my signature because I'm super awesome. 
But anyways, as we look to it, I just kind of want to go through some of this. First and foremost, obviously, Packers and Saints. I'm still a little surprised that the uh, Packers are still only three-point favorites, and apparently PFF finds that to be outrageous, not in favor of the Packers, but in favor of the Saints. They're saying we are minus 2.1. So they only have us as two-point favorites. So I I don't know, man. I, apparently I'm just crazy when I say that this is a team that we beat already, and they just lost Drew Brees, who's one of the best quarterbacks that had played. I know he didn't have the greatest year last year, but so what? I don't know. The, 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 we've already talked about it, but the whole thing is just weird to me. I, I, I'm just, I guess I'm kind of just by myself on this because it just seems to be a thing where it's like, oh, I don't know, Packers might be in trouble here. The Saints with no Drew. Because in my mind, it's like the Saints without Drew Brees are what? I, I don't, they need to find a quarterback. It's like, well, they got Jameis. Dude, they, <laughs> he didn't even win the job until five seconds ago when they were trying to decide if they should have him or Taysom. And to be completely honest, the only reason I think that he got the job is because you can still utilize Taysom. So it's not just a matter of, well, if Taysom's the quarterback, you lose Jameis, and if Jameis is the quarterback, you lose Taysom. If Taysom is the quarterback, you lose Jameis completely. But you also lose Taysom in all of his other roles. So you're losing more than just that value. If Jameis is the quarterback, whatever value might you might lose, and maybe you're not, but let's just say you are. Let's say you're even going backwards a little bit from Taysom to Jameis. That you're kind of gaining uh, that, that Taysom you know, Hill as a but, running uh, back, Trey tight end, is, wide that's, receiver, that's whatever garbage. the heck he and is. That's, that's, and you can still slide him in at quarterback once in a while to run his stupid wildcat stuff, whatever you have planned. But yet I'm supposed to believe that a quarterback competition between Jameis Winston, who is a basically a career backup at this point, and, J- and and Taysom Hill, who I don't even know if he's exactly a backup quarterback. I don't know what he is. Um, that ended with them finding the quarterback who's better than Drew Brees or even on the same page as Drew Brees. I, again, I understand he was in a bit of a decline this past year, but that's we're getting into dicey territory with that. And so, I mean, you know, you could say, well, they still got a really good defense. Yeah, I mean, they got a good defensive front. They got a good linebacker, but... They don't really have corners. That could be problematic. And um, Jameis Winston is operating with what? Michael Thomas is not expected to play. So (laughs) you're going from Breeze to Thomas um, to now we have um, Jameis Winston throwing to, what, Marquez Calloway? That's that's it? They also lost Anyamata. They lost their kicker. So I, I... Again, it's not that it can't be a loss for the Packers. It's just that I don't understand from a betting standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, what is the pile of information we're looking at going, I don't know, man, it's going to be close. You got uh, Marquez Callaway and Traquan Smith going up against Jair Alexander and Kevin King slash Stokes. Um, You got that completely porous interior offensive line protecting Winston and trying to block for Kamara. And again, Lattimore, Marshawn Lattimore, who seemed like he was going to be a stud, that's turning into a complete bust. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who was not good last year at all, and Paulson Adebo, who was a third-round pick this year, going up against Adams and Lazard and, and MVS, who's having a heck of a camp, not to mention you got Aaron Jones and Tunyon and Aaron Rodgers and the whole gang here. I, maybe I'm just putting out feelers. You tell me. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to reach out to a, a Saints podcaster or something and be like, you got to help me out here because 
everybody seems to think this is going to be a close uh, ordeal, and I don't know how in the world that's going to happen. Give me your best case. But right away, other games of interest. I know we kind of went through the games, but we didn't really talk about it from this standpoint. It was more of just the betting odds and whatnot. But uh, Thursday, Buccaneers-Cowboys, it really is kind of an important game. Now, maybe it won't be because the Cowboys are going to be trash, but I'm kind of buying into the hype a little bit more than I should. Mike McCarthy's making promises that the defense is going to make this massive leap, as though I haven't heard Mike McCarthy make promises every year about how this year is going to be different. The guy's like an abusive alcoholic father. This time it's going to be different, sweetheart, I promise. But he's swearing up and down that defense is the biggest, fastest turnaround of a, of a unit he's ever seen in his entire career, and you stitch that together with this offense, which is just loaded with talent, and this is just going to be a team for the ages. Um, I'll tell you what, if they win, it's a little bit scary, but if they beat the Buccaneers, that's fantastic. Um, otherwise, if the Buccaneers win, hey, the Dallas Cowboys lost, and I'm expecting the Bucs to win a bunch of games anyway, so it's no real loss there. So it's, uh, it's kind of a win-win game. So that'll be kind of fun. Aside from the part where we have to convince ourselves that Tom Brady really isn't as good as everybody makes him out to be, and then he goes and just absolutely eviscerates the Cowboys and looks perfect on every single pass, every single drive, just dominates all up and down, and we're just going to be in complete despair. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but I feel like we know that it is. Other games of interest, uh, let's see, this is a noon game, Central Time, 49ers-Lions. Now that's probably going to be fairly lopsided. And that's fine because we get to watch the Lions lose and that puts us one step closer to uh, dominating the NFC North. However, I am interested to see how the 49ers play out because, again, they've really only had one good year under Shanahan's reign, which is a terrible record for somebody that is still considered one of the best coaches in the NFL, which is baffling to me. And you can talk about his roster all you want, but would, would Matt LaFleur be getting that same same thing if he, you know, if, if Rodgers wasn't there and the team did what it was doing, would they say that he's one of the greatest in the NFL? Of course they wouldn't. That would be ridiculous. But I am curious because Garoppolo's still the guy and they're looking to replace him, but Trey Lance is just not good enough. And they've also got a series of holes. So I'm, I'm just curious, is, are the 49ers, because they're always a threat, except for the part where they've only really been a threat the one time. <laughs> of course, it was the time they stopped us from getting to the freaking Super Bowl. But I wouldn't mind, even if they win, seeing them look not exactly like a well-oiled machine. Uh, also on at noon is going to be the Vikings and the Bengals. I do expect the, the Vikings to win that game, but again, very similar to the 49ers. I just want to see them come out a little flat. I don't really see any scenario where the Bengals win the game over the Vikings, unless the Vikings just completely play like trash. But all the reports out of Cincinnati, that, that is a complete dumpster fire of an organization. So that's basically a free gifted win to the Vikings there. Cardinals-Titans is just going to be kind of a fun little punch fest. Again, I've never really bought into the Cardinals. They've been getting hyped up by the media since forever. I just, I don't see it. I don't see, I mean, Kyler's fine, but just the whole unit in general. I keep hearing people talk about, first of all, Kyler's amazing. They're stacked with wide receivers, which is a massive exaggeration. And then the thing that drives me the nuts, nuts the most is how elite their defense is or will be. I'm just baffled at that one. Browns-Chiefs doesn't have too big of an implication, but i wouldn't mind seeing the Browns kind of take that one. I don't think they will. But again, I do see the Chiefs continuing a slight slide. I don't think they're ever going to fall apart as long as Mahomes is, you know, as long as it's Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, it's going to be like the Seahawks, where you keep waiting for this impending doom and it's never going to come. But they're also, I don't know if they're ever really going to get back to the pinnacle if they can't figure out how to draft people and develop people and, and you know, stop purging talent, which is all they've really done since they fired John Dorsey for some stupid reason. 
So we'll see. Again, I, I you know, if the Browns win, I'm going to feel real good about that because you expect the Chiefs to have like two or three losses in the season. And if you start week one with a loss, that's pretty significant. And then finally, and most significantly, is the LA Rams at Chicago, or excuse me, Bears at Rams, which makes it even better. Um, everything about how this is all transpired, transpired makes this even better. I don't see any chance the Bears win this game. I really don't. I would say it's much more likely that the Saints beat the Packers than the Bears beat the Rams. The, the Bears look anemic. It looked pathetic. The the Even when they had their starters out there, it just the offense in particular just had nothing going for it. The offensive line could not block. They, they already know they have offensive line problems. And it's a team that is wanting to run the ball more and run the ball better, but they can't. The offensive line is not good enough, and they can't block for their quarterback, who seems to do halfway decent, and I know it's going to be Dalton, but halfway decent, Justin Fields anyways, when they can block, and it doesn't seem to be the case. But Andy Dalton is, I mean, we saw what he did for for Dallas. It was a joke. And so you get the Rams, and you get Aaron Donald against that terrible offensive line and that number one ranked defense last year against this Bears offense, and I think it's going to be an absolute slaughter. And again, the reason I say it's even even better is because of everything they've done up to this point to completely destroy all the momentum they had going into the season where everybody was behind Justin Fields and how excited they were, this new team, this new era, it's coming, here we go. And um, they basically, by the time the season starts, you've got, at best for Bears fans, sort of, uh, you know, someday we still might be good. I don't think anybody's thinking we're going to march into to L.A. and dominate the Rams. I just, I don't see it. I, I think, I really think the Rams, like I said, are going to take a step forward. I think Stafford is an upgraded quarterback. They've got better offensive line. I think they have a better quarterback. I think they have better wide receivers. They have a better tight end, better running game, at least, if not a better running back. Better, uh, you know, I mean, Khalil's fine, but he's not Aaron Donald. And you say, well, all they have is Aaron Donald. Well, all you guys have is Khalil. You know, Akeem Hicks is fine. You do have better linebackers than they have, I'll give you that, but you don't have better corners, not by a long shot. So it's just going to add to the misery. And yeah, you're going to have people screaming for fields and screaming for fields, and I hope you put them out there. Because at the end of the day, I don't really think he's ready. And and as long the longer he stays on the bench, the, the longer you can convince yourself that the, if, we, if only Justin Fields was out there, we'd have a shot. When in reality, the best thing you can do is keep... Fields on the bench bench against the Rams because he would just embarrass the poor guy. Now, if you want to trot him out week two against the Bengals, you got a real shot there. It's at home. I mean, that, that wouldn't be the worst strategy. I'd be surprised if they were smart enough to do it, but the Rams annihilate the Bears. You start 0-1. You bring out Justin Fields. It's, it's your first home game. The, the stadium is packed for the first time. Bears fans are freaking out. They're cheering. They're screaming. And Justin Fields probably will lead you to a victory, and Justin Fields will be 1-0. There's a chance you can go on to beat the Browns. That will be on the road. That could be a little bit tough. But then you got the Lions after that. That should be a win. You could actually beat the Raiders after that. There is a possibility. You could be 4-0 and with Justin Fields. It's not super likely, but um, it's possible. And you go into the Green Bay Packers game, and this is a home game in Chicago against the Packers with all this momentum but again, I just I don't think that's how that's going to play out. I think you're going to go to L.A., you're going to get annihilated. I think Andy Dalton's going to lead you to another victory against the Bengals, which is going to cause strife because you want to be excited, but at the same time, you 
don't want more reason for Andy Dalton to stay the quarterback. And so when do you bring in Fields? If you wait until the Packer game, you got the Packers, you got the the Buccaneers, you got the 49ers, you got the Steelers, you got the Ravens. That poor guy is going to just get annihilated because you're not going to beat the Packers. You're not going to beat the Buccaneers. You're probably not going to beat the 49ers. Steelers, probably not there either with the talent they have on defense. And, and, and the Ravens, just forget it. And then you got a shot against the Lions and probably not the Cardinals. And then you're going to lose again to the Packers. And you're going to lose again to the Vikings. And you're going to lose again to the Seahawks. And then you got a shot against the Giants. And then you're going to lose to the Vikings. So I guess what I really want, and I, I there's a part of me that feels bad saying it. And every time I say this, Packer fans are like, dude, stop feeling bad. They deserve it. There's a part of me that feels bad for saying it because, you know, people enjoy deserve to be happy. You know, it's not your fault you're a Bears fan. You probably just listen to your dad the way I listen to my dad. But all I really want is for all the excitement and all the hype and all the nonsense and all the screaming and and gleefulness about how the Bears run the North and the Packers are doomed and you got one more year and you're out of here. I just want to basically tune into nothing but Chicago Bears podcasts and Chicago Bears radio and listen to how much they hate the organization and see who they're blaming. Are they saying Fields is a boss or are they saying they need to get him help, which is true, because that's the other side of the coin. Even if Fields does look good, it's not going to matter. What good is that when you don't have, I mean, you got one wide receiver who doesn't want to be there, and you got an offensive line that's no good, and you got a running back you like, but he's not exactly a superstar, and Khalil just keeps getting a year year older. I mean, that's, I don't know how long you can keep riding that. Well, we got Khalil. Well, we got Khalil. Dude, he's like 70. He's, He's old now. Akeem is begging for a contract now, but only because he knows it's his last shot. Here's a prediction for you. If the Bears don't extend him this year, he's going to be gleefully leaving the Chicago Bears. He doesn't want to be there. He said as much. Corners are all gone. Your safeties are overrated and not very good. And your linebacker duo is about to be split into a single-o, an uno. (laughs) I don't know the words. It's just, it's it's not good. But again, all that talk and all that hype and this regular season hasn't even started and Bears fans are already unhappy. And then week one is going to start against the number one defense and Andy Dalton, and I think it's just going to be a slaughter. Now, if you guys end up pulling off a victory there, um, I mean, I'm going to look pretty stupid, but the the silver lining is that the Rams, who I think are maybe our biggest obstacle this year, maybe even more so than Tampa, just fell to the Bears and maybe aren't that good, and that would be fantastic. But anyways, it is 840. It is way past my bedtime. I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.